0: Good morning, church. Um, this morning we're going to be reading Psalm 31. It's the whole psalm. Uh, it should be appearing on the screens so if you want to follow along just as I take us through it. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge a strong fortress to save me since you are my rock and my fortress for the sake of your name lead and guide me keep me free from the trap that is set for me for you are my refuge into your hands i commit my spirit deliver me lord my faithful god i hate those who cling to worthless idols as for me i trust in the lord i will be glad And rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I'm in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning my strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak because of all my enemies i'm the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends those who see me on the street flee from me i'm forgotten as though i were dead i've become like broken pottery for i hear many whispering terror on every side they conspire against me and plot to take my life but I trust in you Lord I say you are my God my times are in your hands deliver me from the hands of my enemies from those who pursue me let your face shine on your servant save me in your unfailing love let me not be put to shame Lord for I've cried out to you but let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead let their lying lips be silenced for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. When I was in a city under siege, in my alarm I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud, he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord.
1: Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. "'We have no king but Caesar,' the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle.' and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did.
2: The 3rd of April, AD 33, was a day that featured some most significant value judgments. Of course, most famously, Uh, a judgment made was by a people who chose to crucify Jesus of Nazareth. As I read through this story again, the one that hit me this time once more and probably brought a feeling of, what are you doing? Was that the soldiers who, granted, were doing their job that day. In the wake of seeing a man hung on a cross as they did their work, seemed quite indifferent to the suffering of the human and largely enthusiastic about the opportunity for a new t-shirt. For them it was to play lotto, to acquire the new shirt, for it was a good shirt. And no mind at all paid for the man, whether he was guilty or not, who was to be executed that day. It's funny how value judgments can have an effect on you sometimes the effect they have on you is is maybe prejudiced you you impulsively respond this was the case for me of course not 2,000 years ago but just a week ago I was walking through the affluent Melbourne suburb of Toorak I was on my way happily to the Australian Grand Prix and as I walked with my two sons A lady walked past me and from our encounter, encounter, my initial response was, wow, we couldn't be more opposite. Uh, She came past, of course, we're opposite. She was a woman and I was a man. Uh, I was visiting the area. It was clear that she was a local. As she walked past with her friend, I only heard one part of their conversation and it went like this. And yeah, I was really sad about that. But my bank account was happy. Uh, it's funny, because I was with my 13 and 11-year-old uh, son. Wait, well, he's not 13, he's 15. They grew up so fast. Uh, my 15-year-old son and my 11-year-old son, and kind of all of us looked at each other with an eye roll. It was kind of one of those, oh, tell me you're a wealthy young person who lives in Turek making a lot of money without telling me that you're a wealthy young person living in Turek making a lot of money. Uh, and initially, it was like, how different are we? Because he was me walking through as, as a man, as a guest. Um, and I'm thinking, I'm really happy. I'm going to the, to the Grand Prix. But my bank account is sad. <laughs> and so we were quite opposite. However, on reflection, I, I, we are so alike. Beyond our gender difference, we're both human. <laughs> we're in the same suburb. And look, both of us were looking to find consolation in a suboptimal circumstance there was Turak lady whose emotions were low. She was sad, but that was offset. There was consolation found in a bank account that was happy. And there was Shane, that's me, hello if I haven't met you, who was happy, which was offsetting some questionable fiscal management. And so you see, we're not so not so dissimilar, me and my Turak friend, both of us seeking consolation taking refuge in something when the circumstances were not ideal, Uh, contrasting values, Uh, the value of the bank account would offset the value of emotion and vice versa for me. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series here teaching called Alive, and through that series, we've looked at the lives of a number of people from years gone by, some in recent years, some in ancient times, people called martyrs. These are people who, at some stage, had to contrast values in the highest of ways because their decision would either save their life or cost them their life. They're martyrs because they made a decision where they valued something higher than maintaining the vital signs in their body. They thought that by trusting in God, uh, the life that is given in Him was of a greater value than having vital signs. In fact, these people weren't just looking for consolation like Turak Lady and Fig Tree Boy. They were looking for consolation and salvation, the capacity to overcome, to get through, and to overcome. And that's different. One of the martyrs that we saw, whose words will ring with me, I suspect, to the end of my my days, is Jim Elliot. Uh, Jim Elliot was a man who, though pistol in his pocket, refused to fire because he couldn't be certain of the eternity of those who were threatening his life, who would eventually spear him to death. Now, before he got into that situation, he was warned that he was going to a place where it was highly likely he would be martyred. Here's his statement on value judgments. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to secure what he cannot lose. For him, his vital signs... His animation paled in significance to the life that he knew in Christ Jesus. That's what the martyrs are like. They're people who found consolation. They're people who found salvation, the ability to overcome. They're people who had to put the two values together and they chose God. They chose to trust in him. Today on this Good Friday, I introduce you or reintroduce you to another martyr. A man rarely called a martyr, but certainly worthy of the title. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, who like the other masters, was put to death because he trusted in God. And that's what Good Friday is about. What happened? A man from Nazareth, a rabbi, a teacher, a miracle worker, was put to death on a Roman cross. Uh, What has become a symbol of a religion, Christianity? What has become the template for jewelry? is actually better known as an execution device. And this is what Jesus of Nazareth was hung on as he was put to death. That's what happened on Good Friday, on the 3rd of April, AD 33. Why did it happen? Jesus was put to death, as you heard in the video, because of a claim. His claim was that he was the Son of God. Now, let's be clear. There's some spaces in the Scripture that say to us very clearly that Jesus of Nazareth, was the eternal God, creator of all that is, taken flesh and dwelling among us. I'll tell you more about that in December at Christmas time. When Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he wasn't actually speaking to the fact that he was divine or the creator. He was speaking very much to the particular human that he is. You see, Son of God is a nickname or the shorthand that had been given to the chosen one. Now, we use the language of Christ or Messiah. It means anointed. Son of God means I'm the one God has chosen. Jesus is the son of God, but before him were men like Solomon, men like David, who were also anointed of God, God's choice. It's a human term what's so particular about the son of god the son of god is the one that god chooses and amongst all people god says through this one i will mediate my blessing to all people he says through this one i will judge and through this one i will bring salvation i will bring hope the goodness of me comes through him I've chosen him. Jesus was saying, God has chosen me. He was claiming, God's chosen me. He's called me son of God to be the space where you can find God's blessing, where God's judgment will be executed, and where God's salvation can be found. You can see how that's a confronting thing to say to the other people living on the earth, that I'm God's chosen one among all people. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what Jesus was claiming. And so they put him to death. Now, when a person dies, often, but not always, you can learn much from that person, should they have the capacity to utter last words. Uh, It's reported that Alexander the Great, the great conqueror, his last words, the strongest. That was because he was asked a question as he died, which one of your children should succeed you? Alexander, the great conqueror, the military man, didn't say, oh, my daughter, she's so cute, I love her, she's a wise little girl. He didn't say, of course, my eldest son. He said, the strongest, because that was his hope. That was his supreme value, strength. And under Alexander and the might of his army, an enormous empire that has affected life to this day was established. He said, the strongest as jesus died as he suffocated you don't bleed out on a cross you suffocate as he suffocated with his last breaths his last words his last word was psalm 31 verse 5 it's your hands i commit my spirit deliver me lord my faithful god those are the words he got out the words he inferred was the whole of psalm 31 Jesus was saying, unlike Alexander, who was saying, strength is my hope. Jesus was saying, the Lord God is my hope, my heavenly Father. I entrust myself to him. And all that is of this psalm, let that be said of me. Jesus' last words, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. This morning, as I chat with you for a little while and reflect upon how Jesus chose to die and how Je- what Jesus said and what Jesus put his hope in, I want to put three things before you. I want us to think for Jesus and for ourselves about my choice. I want us to think about the cost, and I want us to think about the results. Okay, we're going to talk about my choice, the cost, and the results. Let's talk about my choice through the eyes of God. Of Jesus of Nazareth. You're Jesus, and you're claiming to be the Son of God. Now, people aren't happy about this. It's not like Jesus wasn't warned. He was warned. There were people who were saying, the things you were saying are not right to say, they're blasphemous, you're pushing up against all kinds of things, and you know which way this goes. Well, Jesus, of course, had a choice. At that point, he could have backed away from the truth that he believed that he was the Son of God and said, if that's too much for you guys, I'll just stay quiet. Or perhaps he could have gone into some kind of negotiation with those who were threatening him and said, maybe there's a way for us to work this out together. Indeed, there are parts of the Scriptures that tell us before Jesus was executed, there was a trial of, of sorts before Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect, the guy who was in charge And Pilate, though, a little flaky as a judge, certainly was reaching out to Jesus at times saying, hey, don't you realize I have the power to steer this whole thing for you? Do you want to work together on it? Jesus had a choice. He said, no, not particularly. I stand by my claim. You you do you, boo, and I'm going to do me. Jesus' choice was to stand by his claim, and as he's put to death on the cross... We read this, Psalm 31, verse 1. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. As Jesus was hung to a cross, his choice was not negotiation with others. It wasn't to back away from truth. It wasn't even to answer the call of some who said, hey, he saved others, save yourself. Come down from that cross. Now I wager... A man who raised the dead, fed 5,000 and walked on water, calmed the storm, was quite able to pull a few nails out and jump down and say, done. But that's not what he did. His choice wasn't in his own strength. His choice wasn't in the capacity to negotiate with others. His choice was in you, Lord. I have taken refuge. I find my consolation in you and I will find my salvation in you. You will bring me through this, and you will bring me out of this. You will console me through it, and you will rescue me from it. Not just, I was sad, but my bank account was happy, or I was, oh, my bank account, but I was happy. That's consolation. Jesus receives consolation and salvation. He is rescued through, he overcomes. He says, I trust you. Now, what's the cost of that? Well, with every choice, there's a cost, isn't there? If you choose to be sad, uh, if you choose to have a happy bank account and you're walking through Turak, for this lady, it was, the cost was going to be some sadness. The decision, whatever she'd made, was not happy. Uh, if you're me, you want to go to a Grand Prix and get happy and all that sort of stuff, the cost was financial. What was the cost for Jesus when he chose to trust in his Father, when he chose to trust in God? Well, verses 5 and 6 will help us out with this. Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Now, what Jesus is saying there is he understands the cost. With my dying breath, will I take the energy to grab another one? Will I negotiate? Will I pull myself out? No. He says, what I'm going to do, and this is hard for me to explain because the cost is enormous and it's really low at the same time. It's enormous in that Jesus says, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to give up on all of my capacities, be they of negotiation, my power, my strength, my whatever. I die to that right now, and I entrust myself to you. I'm going to die. My strength, my account, my ability, my everything won't matter, but yours will. So the cost is high, As he dies to himself, and the cost is low, because he says, hey, let's use your strength instead. Hey, let's trust in you, rather than trust in me. He gives himself over into your hands. I commit my spirit. Friends, this is the language of faith. This is the language of trust. Not to be confused with wishful thinking, positive thought, this is I surrender me and I trust you. So massively costly as he gives up his life and agency and hands it over to a good and gracious God who he trusts, dies to himself, a life to the Lord. That was his cost. Now, as Jesus goes on in verse six, there are some words we need to pause on Because if you didn't notice them, I'm sure you notice them now. Jesus says, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. As I read that, I thought, gee, what does that mean? I don't know about you, but when I read these words originally written by Jesus' ancestor, David, penned by the power of God, his Holy Spirit, and inferred by Jesus, what is this hate speech? those in front of me how do I handle it why is the son of God the God of love speaking in a hateful way what does he mean what is he saying about those among us today and beyond us who maybe don't trust in God well it's important to understand how the language of hate works Um, there's a risk of being offended by this and that's okay I just want you to be offended in the right way if you choose to be offended what is not being said here is not the language of i'm malicious against you in the original hebrew the word is sane and it doesn't carry the thought of malice so sometimes when you might say and i suspect you don't i hate that person there's a malice there's a push at them Here's a better way to understand the meaning that is carried by sane. Oh, man, I hate this traffic. I'm not going to hurt the traffic or anything. What it is, is I recoil from the traffic. Do you get the difference? You can have hate that pushes offense or attack upon, or you can have hate that says, I recoil from. And the inference of sane is to say, I recoil from those who cling to worthless idols. I don't stand with them. Now, here's where you may be offended. See, we have coached ourselves as a society that you don't ever tell someone that's a bad decision. You don't say, I think that's wrong. You don't say, I can't stand with you on that. But that's what Jesus does. He says, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in God. And for everyone who's clinging to other stuff, hey, that's a bad call. You're trusting in something that's worthless. It lacks worth. It lacks value. It's going to fail you. This is God speaking not out of malicious hate, but out of just true, genuine love. Hey, I recoil at this because you're precious and you're trusting in something that I know will fail. It will fail you. So Jesus is doing the thing that you're not meant to do. He's saying, bad call. He's doing the thing that some, some Christians in Bible readers say, oh, the Bible says, don't judge. The Bible gives us some coaching on how to judge and when to judge. But don't fall for the myth that the Bible says, don't judge. No, the Bible says more about do judge than don't judge. It tells you to look for what is right and what's for not right, what is foolish and what is wisdom and that's not possible to do without some kind of judgment call jesus here says you trust in something that's not god bad call love you too much to let you walk away thinking otherwise bad call and i recoil from it i don't stand there says jesus and so what's the result what's the result for this Jesus who chooses God, who dies to himself and trusts solely in what God can do for him? The result is amazing because it's a picture of consolation and salvation. You see, when you're walking through Turak with the sad face and a happy bank account, you've got consolation. But probably the sad face will come back again another day. Uh, When you're walking through Turak with a sad bank account and a happy face, uh, someday you're going to have to find another way to get a happy face or prop up that bank account or something. It's a consolation as you balance the two. What Jesus is going to get here in trusting God is consolation indeed, but also salvation. Let's see if I can show you this. Verses 7 and 8. And these verses actually are brilliant at summing up the rest of the psalm. Jesus says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. He's saying, you see me. Man, isn't that the first step to consolation when times are tough, to be seen, someone noticed, to know that you're loved? He speaks of rejoicing, this is the language of joy, not just passing happy, I went to a car race, but a joy that is inside, even in difficult circumstance. Now, I told you, Jesus is a man like you and I, but you still might find that a little tricky, so let's back up, because remember, this psalm was not written by Jesus, but it was said by Jesus, it was written by his ancestor, a man called David, and David's a guy who's had some experiences that might resonate with you. And these are his words. David was a man who knew what it was to grieve the loss of an infant child dying shortly after birth and trying to console his grief stricken wife. I'll be glad and rejoice in your love. These are his words. David's a man who knows what it is to have his adult son turn against him hate him and despise him and these are his words i'll be glad and rejoice in your love david's a man who knows who knows how painful it is to see his own moral shortcomings start to be reflected in his offspring and go man how i failed as a dad but these are his words david is a man who knows what it is to be estranged from family Even to see his own dad that didn't really see him, but was more impressed with his brothers. Well, these are his words. David's a man who knows what it is, as you and I do, to be grief-stricken in yourself because you know you messed up, because the culpability is yours. You did something wrong. It hurt you. It hurt others. You did bad, and you feel ashamed. These are his words. David's a man who knows what it is to be under unfair accusation. These are his words. David's a man who knows what it is to have his body start to be taken over by illness and aging. And friends, these are his words. David knows what it is to be overpowered by the lust of his eyes and find them looking at stuff he shouldn't. And have his hands and his body follow after And these are his words David's a guy who knows what it is legitimately to be scared for the future scared for his life and wondering where home is and these are his words and David both figuratively and literally knows what it is to have giant challenges and these are his words words that he would pen under God Words that would be prayed and said by generations for a thousand years after him of people going through all kinds of experiences who would trust in the Lord and say, ah, this is hard, but I'll be glad and rejoice in your love for you saw my affliction. They get consolation. In Jesus, we learn that not only is God looking to console, but he truly is looking to save and help you overcome. Because Jesus uttered these words and I wonder if the irony hits you of Jesus being willing to infer words like you, but you have set my feet in a spacious place whilst his feet were nailed together by a Roman nail into a Roman cross. Everything visual to the eye and the experience said, your feet aren't in a good space, my friend. But Jesus, who trusted in the Lord, the Lord who sees him and loves him and brings him consolation, the Lord who the psalm will go on to say will actually bring him through death. So not just console through, but save and overcome. Spoiler alert for Sunday, which we celebrate that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus teaches us that when you trust God, you get consolation and salvation this is the easter picture the easter picture is one where jesus was put to death on friday the 3rd of april a.d 33 for claiming to be the son of god they didn't believe him on sunday Jesus did something that no one else has managed. He wasn't resuscitated, he was resurrected. He was brought to new life, life that will never die again. And this was God saying, right, you guys have all had your say in this trial, now let me have mine. You put him to death the final enemy but death can't hold him because he has spoken truly i am raising him he committed his last breath to me his spirit and now by my spirit i'm putting it back in him raising him from the grave and declaring him to all of you son of god the space you go the one you go to to receive my blessing the one who will judge the living and the dead, and the one in whom and the only one in whom there is not only consolation to be seen, loved, known, and have joy through a life that has ups and downs, but there's salvation and overcoming. There is something beyond the time of this earthly life. God's saying at the resurrection, Jesus' claims are true. And here's the beauty of Jesus. He's not that leader that says, hey, trust me, I'll look after it. And you think, gee, I hope you will. Jesus is the leader who says, how about I go first? Because that's what he did. Now to the cross, dying breath, he says, hey, the only way to live and the best way to die, Into your hands. I commit my spirit. For you are the God of consolation, the God of salvation, the God who allows us to overcome. Trust me, because I will go first, and I have gone first. And so his invitation is indeed to come to the Son of God and to say to him, Into your hands I commit my spirit, and to receive the same consolation and the same salvation. And so I must ask you this morning, I told you about Jesus' choice, the cost, and the result. Will you permit me to ask you about your choice, the cost, and the result? What I mean, friends, is where are you looking? Where are you looking for consolation? And have you twigged that there is also salvation? Salvation? Is it as simple as, I'm sad, but my bank account was happy? Or, whoo, blowing some dollars this weekend, but hey, it's fun. Or is it something more profound? Where are you looking for consolation and for salvation? What's your choice? Are you an into your hands, I commit my spirit God person? Or are you looking somewhere else? Hey, you've been so respectful to listen to me for the last half an hour. Let me be respectful back and not trivialize your decision. I follow Jesus. And I have to tell you, not because I'm against you, but because I'm for you. If you're looking somewhere else, bad call. Not a good decision. I think you're somewhere else might entertain you for a little while, but God promised me, and I promise you, that it will fail. It's not a good call. What's your choice? Can I ask you about the cost of your choice? You see, when you choose God, it's cheap and it's expensive. It's expensive because you surrender your life like Jesus. You say, hey, not me anymore. Not my scorecard, not the good, not the bad. I trust you. I trust you to be good, kind, and to have my back, to see me, to love me, and to bring me through this life and beyond it. I trust you. So I'm going to die to me, And I'm just going to trust you. And that's all you've got to do, is trust that God's got it. Or you can continue to make what I've called an unwise decision and trust something else. But can I ask you about the cost of your something else? Have you noticed that with God, I said, look, there's one big cost. You die to yourself. You trust him. He takes care of the rest. The thing with the everything else, have you noticed the recurring bills? Have you noticed that it keeps coming back with a a payment plan? You know, I got happy on the weekend, so what am I going to do next weekend? My bank account got topped up. Uh, When's the next payday? Have you noticed that all these other things keep hand out, time for payment, time for payment? And have you noticed the inflation? Have you noticed that they demand more and more and more and more and more from you? And what promised to give you consolation has led you into slavery? Well, that's not what it's like with Jesus. The cost is just stop counting on you, start counting on him, and the results... The result is, as it was for David, as it has been for generations of faithful Israelites, as it was for Jesus, as it is for all who trust in Jesus, there is great consolation of God who walks with you, sees you, loves you, and gives you joy even in hardship. But not only consolation gives you salvation and overcoming, promises that the hardship will end. And there will be eternity and eternal life with him. That is what it is to be truly alive. And so can I ask you this morning, are you happy just to be consoled for a while? Or do do you want to have a look at being consoled and saved? In Jesus, there is both. Today, there are some values to contrast. And I'm praying that everyone here will choose the words of Jesus to trust in God for their consolation and for their salvation. And I'm going to be real with you about this because I'm going to ask you to make a response to that in a few moments. I want to offer you a time to reflect on some of the things I've shared with you. They are significant. I want you to listen to some of the things that our team want to sing for you. But these things are all True. And I'm going to come back and have a little bit more of a chat with you and ask you, so what's your choice? Have you understood the cost? And are you ready to delight in the result? So please let these guys bless us with some more truth and then we'll talk some more. Bless contrasting of values Uh, in the vicinity of your seat you might see a response card such as this there's also a qr digital version that you'll be able to see on the screen here's the contrasting of values i know what it's like sometimes uh, as we speak and we want to act upon significant decisions you think look i've made my choice i don't want to do that thing i get that i feel that way too sometimes But in a room such as this, it's quite possible that uh, someone's making a decision for life or at least adjusting a trajectory that will be significant for them forever. Can I ask you, if you would contrast that value of, oh, don't make me do that thing, with there's someone that's making a life-changing decision and it's easier when everyone joins in. Rather than you're the one guy there going, while everyone watches. Can we agree to do that? And so, using the response, uh, the QR on the screen, or if you want to go old fashioned with paper, whichever works for you, I'd love now just to take a few moments to invite you before God to make your response. Yeah, perhaps today, as uh, you've heard what's been sung maybe through the witness of a friend, someone who's been talking to you and telling you about Jesus for a while and they might've brought you along today, maybe through the things that I've shared with you from the scriptures, you wanna say, you know, it's time to make a choice for Jesus. It's time to commit my life to him. He is stronger than I am. I want something more than consolation. I want to overcome as well. I want salvation. I believe he rose from the grave. I love that he spoke those words that speak to all seasons of life and I want to entrust myself to him now for the very first time. Or maybe you once entrusted yourself to him and something slipped and you've been just trusting yourself and you want to come back to Jesus today. That's a really good box for you to tick or to mark, however you do that. Because that's your indication where you say today into your hands I commit my spirit God I trust you and if that is you then the great news is then transaction is complete you are now in God's strength salvation is yours I can't wait to walk through life alongside you watching the joy and the consolation that God brings through the ups and the downs and I want you to know that heaven celebrates as well And so if that is you and you did tick that, I'm just going to offer a prayer for you right now. Uh, If if all would respect those I'm praying for, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, you are a great God. Uh, You've shown yourself to be powerful because you overcame death in Jesus. You've shown yourself to be loving because you sent your son to die for us. And so, Lord God, for everyone who has made that wise decision to commit their life, their breath, their spirit to you, We praise your name. Thank you for your mercy and for reaching out to them and for taking them and bringing them into your family. And Father, uh, for everyone here who has known you for a while, we're really glad to have new brothers and sisters. Thanks for growing the family, Heavenly Father. And we pray now that each day walking with you may be one of consolation and salvation for you. You are a good God who sees us, loves us, and rescues us even from death. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen now maybe you're someone like myself you've been walking with jesus for a little while this psalm is for you as well because our god is a god of consolation and salvation and one of the things i've lifted straight out of the psalm is it says be strong and take heart all you who hope in the lord so if you're someone who's been hoping in the lord would you tick that box as a thing between you and god now to say yep I hope in the Lord because I want to pray for you too that these very words of encouragement from the psalm might be yours. Let's let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for so many of us. I, I see the faces. I know the stories. Lord, for the people you have brought to yourself who have been walking with you. And we know life's not a picnic, Father. Jesus said, my feet are in spacious places while they were nailed to a cross. And it can feel that way. But Lord God, we thank you that by your presence, by your speaking to us, by us speaking to you, by us gathering together, you walk beside us in life and you offer consolation. You see us and you love us. And so Father, for all your people, I pray that we would be strong and take heart because we hope in you and not in the passing things of this world, including ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to know I very much understand that a guy talking to you for a few minutes and a couple of songs may not be enough to make the biggest decision of your life. That, that makes sense. But maybe you've been uh, sparked to want to learn more. Maybe you're on a bit of a spiritual journey. I think the third box would be a great spot for you and we can help you in a way of different ways. In the psalm, the psalmist says, be merciful to me, God, because he was wrestling some stuff. Maybe you're wrestling some stuff with who is this Jesus? Who is this God? What does trust in him look like? That's your box. God is merciful and kind and wants to meet you. And there's not a single question that's inappropriate. I believe God is true and truth has to stand up to questioning. So if you've got questions, it's the place to come. And finally, I want to talk to some other people. The last box says, I'm holding on to a different hope. We're all holding on to something. It's just true. I'm so grateful for you. I hope you will know that in the things I said earlier, they're said because they're things God says, that to trust in other stuff, it's not a good idea. If this building was on fire and I didn't warn you and say, get out, I'd be negligent. I can't read Psalm 31 and not say to you, the Lord says trusting in other things, not a good idea. And I say that because I just so love for you to trust in Jesus. I don't say that to shame you or to ridicule your decision, but to honor it and not trivialize it. And so can I say, thank you. It was cool that you would be here today. It's so great that you sat and you listened. You could have walked out. There's always choices. Thank you for hearing. Thank you for considering thank you for your courtesy and your grace. I'm going to be a bit cheeky. And the ministry team and probably half the room are going to be pretty cheeky. We're going to keep praying for you. Because we honor you, we like you, we'd love to be friends with you, but we don't think you've made the best call. And we want to pray that God will change that call. So we're going to do that. Right now I invite everybody to stand And as you stand maybe for the first time as a child of God or maybe just celebrating the strength and the hope you have in him, would you sing these words again as a celebration for these are the truths that God has made known to us and true for us in his son Jesus. Please stand and let's sing with the team.